Oh, it's good to see you, or rather not see you. It's good to be seen by you. If you've got a Bible, do you want to turn to Genesis chapter 1? Genesis chapter 1. And following on from where Joel was yesterday, I want to talk for a little bit this morning about sexuality and creation. Sexuality and creation. And then we're going to look a bit more at sexuality tomorrow and then the day after that as well. Um, But I want to begin by telling you a very unpleasant and, to be honest, quite shocking story, which is a true story that's been in the news. You might have seen it in the last few weeks. And I'm not telling you the story to shock you, but to show you something although it might, you might well find it upsetting. Um, so three weeks ago in America, some of you may have seen this on, on the news online, um, three weeks ago in America there was a massive outcry because a woman called Deborah Nukatola, who is the Senior Director of Medical Services at Planned Parenthood, which is the nation's largest abortion provider, uh, this woman was filmed undercover having lunch, eating salad and drinking wine and talking quite matter-of-factly about the sale of the body parts of aborted fetuses. And it was an extremely unpleasant video to watch because they were talking very openly and chattily as if what they were doing was very normal. And this isn't going to be a talk about abortion, and I'm not attempting to address that issue today. But it was a very disturbing conversation because in in the course of the conversation, it became clear that for her, the things that she was selling were things. They were parts of a person, but she was regarding them as being things which you traded and which you sold available to other people, and if they paid you for it, you could sell it to them. There was one particular moment where she said, and I'm quoting, so then you're just kind of cognizant of where you put your graspers. You try to intentionally go above and below the thorax so that, you know, we've been very good at getting heart, lung, liver, because we know that, so I'm not going to crush that part I'm basically going to crush below, I'm going to crush above, and I'm going to see if I can get it all intact. And it was a grim episode. And since then, another few other undercover videos have been released, and many of them display the same kind of attitude towards a human person. As I say, I'm not talking about abortion this morning, but what I, and I'm not telling that story to shock you. Why I'm telling you it is because it gives quite a graphic and slightly gruesome example of what happens if you take something that is spiritual and that represents the divine, and you strip it of all of its spirituality, you strip it of its transcendence, and you turn it into just matter. That's what happens. You take a human being, an image bearer of God, and through a process of philosophical and biological reflection, you just remove all the bits of it that are spiritual, and you make it a lump of matter that can be taken into little pieces and distributed for other purposes. When you do that, you see enormous damage and violation done to the image of God that is represented in that person. And I'm wanting to use that as an example of what all of us have done as part of being in this culture with human sexuality. I want to use it as an analogy. Now what we do is we do exactly the same thing as that with sexuality. We take something that represents the divine, that has cosmic significance, that is spiritual, that is transcendent, and we remove the spirituality of it and turn it into a purely physical thing, and as a result, we destroy it. We take away what is meaningful about it, and we turn it into, for instance, a piece of tissue, a piece of matter. And that journey from celebrating and protecting something that bears the image of God into stripping it for parts, 
takes place in a number of little steps, but it begins by taking something spiritual and cosmic and turning it into something material and functional. And my argument is we've done the same as what that lady did, filmed undercover with a fetus. She, we've done the same as that with sexuality. We have taken something really grand and spiritual and cosmic and turned it into something material and functional. We've taken sexuality, maleness, femaleness, sex, marriage, and we've turned it into something that's simply about matter. We've stripped it of its transcendence. And we've been left with a bunch of physical connections that don't mean much more than the, the physical interactions that they, they are. You know that sometimes things can mean a lot more than the physical thing would otherwise be worth, right? This is a 10 pound note. Imagine some of you got them sitting in your pockets. This piece of paper is worth a fraction of one pence if you mashed it up and sold it for pulp. It's worth next to nothing. But because it represents something higher than simply the physical thing that it is, because it contains information and it has meaning that you and I recognize, it's worth thousands of times what it would be worth if you mashed it up and turned it into pulp. And the reality is that a lot of things in our world carry significance, not because of simply the material stuff they're made of, but because what that material means when it's assembled in a certain way is transcendent. It's far higher than the sum total of the physical bits and pieces that comprise it. The same is true of a baby. The same is true of you. Somebody chop you up to sell you off for pieces, it would not be worth as much as you are. And the same is true of sexuality. The same is true of physical, maleness, femaleness, sex, marriage. Those things stand for something far higher and many people in our culture don't recognize that. And in fact, many of them are discipling you and me to learn, trying to insist upon us. Those things don't mean anything more than that. So this lady, Deborah Nukatola, she reduced a human being to a set of organs. And what we do is we reduce human sexuality to a set of orgasms. But we're doing the same thing. We are turning something spiritual into something purely material and nothing more than a physical experience that might or might not be enjoyable. And God sees human sexuality as far higher and greater and deeper and richer and more beautiful than that. Your maleness, your femaleness, your sexuality, your future marriage or sex, if you have that, those things are worth far more than simply a series of physical exchanges. And I want to show why that's true. So Genesis chapter 1. And let's just walk through it for a moment with a few objects that I've got around me, which I hope will illustrate some, some of this, okay? In the beginning, God created the heavens, okay? So this is a ball of the heavens, the universe, space, the heavens, and the earth. All right, there's a pair here, right? So we have the, the heavens and the earth, one on each side. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. It's quite difficult to find an object to represent darkness, so work with me, okay? A black blanket, right? God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God created the heavens and the earth, 
Then he separated the light from the darkness. Then, if you read on, in day two, he separated the waters above from the waters beneath. That's even harder to represent, so hard that I couldn't find objects to represent it. You imagine, waters above, what would that even be? Day three, he separated the land from the sea. So we have our water and sea in here, and we have the rocks and the land here. And day four, he separates the sun and the moon. And day five, he separates fish and birds. I like parrots, and they're cool, aren't they? They're just nice-looking creatures, right? Separates the fish and the birds. And then, in day six, as the high point of his creation, he makes human beings, and he makes them male and female. I love this guy is Mr. Wonderful. Okay, if you press his hand, he gives you a nice message and tells you how good-looking you are. It's really not really worth having, okay? So you have male. Let's put him here so you can stand and female, okay? The whole creation in pairs like that. She's not died, sorry. Let's just sit her with a little rock behind her. Yes, perfect, okay? Now, so God said in verse 27, so God created man, as in humans, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. The image of God is represented by male and female together. A man on his own does not fully represent the glory of the image of God. A woman on her own does not fully represent the image and glory of God. But when human beings are both male and female, we have the glory of God and image of God represented. Now, notice three things about these. But you think, what is he doing putting these objects up here? Notice three things. First thing to notice, God orders the universe by making distinctions between things. When he creates it, It is formless and void. It is a shapeless morass. It is dark, it's unsorted, it's unfilled, it's empty, it's a massive cosmic splodge, a huge scribble, a blamange in the cosmos somewhere. It has no distinction, no order, no beauty, no life. And God brings order by separating things, by saying day here, night here, heavens here, earth there, male here, female here, fish birds, sun, moon. He divides, he separates deliberately to bring order and beauty and life to what he's built. That's the first thing to notice. Second thing to notice, all of those distinctions take place in complementary pairs. Right? There are two of all of them, heaven, earth, day, night, land, ocean, sun, moon, male, female. Fish reproduce in male and female pairs. In many ways, you could put the bird on both sides and the fish on both sides and the animals too. Fish reproduce in male and female pairs. So do birds. So do mammals. So do we. That's the second thing to notice, right? So God orders the universe by distinguishing things. Secondly, when he distinguishes, they're always in pairs. Third, virtually every language in the world recognizes that distinction between male and female. And the complementarity, i.e. the pairs complement and fit each other in a certain way. Virtually every language other than English recognizes that by having masculine and feminine nouns. If you've ever had to learn another language, I imagine most of you have, you'll probably be aware that pretty much every language on earth, apart from English, has masculine and feminine, at least, forms of noun. And one of the reasons they do that is because they reflect, the, in every language, they reflect the reality that creation is formed in complementary pairs. And you'll notice some interesting traits when you do that. 
You'll notice that in pretty much every language we've ever found, the sun is always he and the moon is always she. The day is always he, the night is always she. The rocks are always he, the ocean is always she. In other words, God has built complementary pairs, pairs which come together and mean more together than they are separately. Complementary pairs, he has built into the fabric of creation and human sexuality Maleness and femaleness, she's fallen down again, reflect that. Human sexuality reflects the complementarity of the whole of creation together. And it's meant to. The fact that there are two sexes, the fact that men and women come together in a certain way, is meant to represent and symbolize something bigger that's happening in all of creation. This is about that. Right? This is about all of that. Male and female coming together, human sexuality is about that. It's about something bigger than itself. Just like the 10 pound note is about something larger than itself. Now human sexuality doesn't just show that. It does, but it shows more. Human sexuality doesn't just show that male and female are distinct. It doesn't show that heaven and earth are distinct. It shows that heaven and earth are destined one day to be united together. This is what so many people in our world don't get. They can't see it. They don't understand. Heaven, heaven where God lives, earth where we live, destined for union together, that makes no sense. But in scripture, that's exactly the story. You begin with this separation and what happens is the whole story points forward to the day when these two become one. They were made for each other and they all live happily ever after. That's what's going to happen. Do you know that? The biblical story is that God is up there and we are here and God wants to live here with us. And he wants us to be free from sin so that we can dwell with him and experience his presence with us. And he comes down and he lives among us. And in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, distinct and separate. And then throughout the story of the Bible, heaven and earth overlap in all kinds of ways. Firstly, it overlaps in the Garden of Eden. God comes in to live amongst people. And people walk around and commune with God. They're with him. They're fellowshipping with him. They're talking to him in the cool of the day. But then they get exiled because they sin. But Eden, heaven and earth overlap. They overlap again in the tabernacle, the tent where God lives. They overlap again in the temple where God lives. They overlap again in the body of Jesus. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. They overlap again in and through the church. That's why we talk already this morning about being in the presence of God. Our claim to the world around us is that the living God has come to live in this tent and among us because we're God's people. And because of that, there's an overlap point between heaven and earth and we're here in the middle of these two spheres. We are at the point at which heaven and earth meet. We are the temple of God as we sang last night. But the destiny of the world is not simply to have God dipping in to certain parts of it. Your body, a church that you're part of, a campsite. The destiny of creation is that heaven and earth would become so united that they become the same thing. That heaven and earth join, God's presence fills everything in every way and the whole of creation is made one in his presence. Ephesians 1 says that God's plan is to unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. Revelation 21 says, and I looked and I saw that heaven 
coming down to earth. And God's presence now is, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth passed away. The sea was no more. We'll come back to that text in a moment. And marriage puts that on display. That's what marriage does. When, when, we say, when I say this is about that, I'm saying that the complementarity of pairs that is built into creation and the fact that those things are destined to come together one day is symbolized in marriage. And we can talk more about that tomorrow. We won't talk about it in any gritty detail, don't worry. I can see it on your faces. But marriage puts that union together on display. Christian marriage points forward to the day when heaven and earth will be joined permanently, creating union everlasting and life and joy. That's what it's for. And the reason why people make the promises they do in a marriage is because they are committing forever to honor the other one and to be bound up with them in union just as heaven and earth will one day be joined together forever. And Christian marriage points forward to that day when heaven and earth will be one for all time and all creation will join in the greatest wedding celebration that there has ever been. That's why the new creation is pictured like a wedding. It's the union of two to become one permanently. And Christian singleness also points forward to that day because Christian singleness marks out and says, do you know what, I am waiting One day there will be no sex, there will be no marriage, there will be no childbirth, but there will instead be a transcendent experience of joy and community and glory that far outweighs all of those things. I've often talked to people who find that hard to understand. I think, how how could the world be fully glorious if there wasn't sexuality in it? I think, imagine my kids, they're six and five, they would struggle to imagine a world that was fully glorious without Peppa Pig. They really would. They wouldn't be able to understand how there was something better than CBeebies in their lives. And actually, as an adult, you look back and you say, well, of course, in your world, that's the highest joy. But believe me, there is a far higher joy to come when you grow into adulthood. The same is true of new creation. We are currently, if you like, children. We think, ah, the biggest deal there might be is this sort of sexuality thing. What we will experience that day is a, such a relativizing, a Peppa Pig moment where we suddenly see, wow, there is something far, far bigger than I realized in human sexuality. There is something better than that. This is about that. It's about that day and that coming together of heaven and earth. So human sexuality is always pointed at something else, right? So I've got a slide of Anakin. So when I was, a, I, was a, I don't know, about 18, this poster suddenly appeared as a teaser poster for the first Star Wars movie, which it turned out was awful. But that's the poster that they came out. And of course, the whole point is you look at it and you see the shadow of Darth Vader behind Anakin. And you're supposed to know this little boy is about something else. There is a a shadow behind him that he points to. And if you look at him properly, you will notice that he represents something much bigger than himself. It's quite a common device. Right? You might have seen this painting before by Holman Hunt. Next one. Okay? So there's a picture of Jesus just stretching out while he's doing his carpentry, but behind him there is a shadow of the cross. And this is a more religious way of making the same point, that you have sometimes somebody is doing something that represents something much bigger than them, like a 10-pound note even. It's something that displays a deeper and richer reality behind them. I really laughed. You know the woman who played Tilda Swinton, who played the White Witch in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe movie, right? You may have seen it. You've probably seen it. Anyway, 
So Tilda Swinton, well-known actress, and people say to her, so what do you make of the fact that it's a Christian allegory and you're not a Christian? And she, she said, to be honest, I think you can make almost anything seem like it's about something else if you want. And I was reading the interview going, no, 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 no. No, it really is about that. And everyone who's ever read this story realizes that The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is about something else. And everyone knows that. And you've just made yourself look a little bit silly by not realizing that that's what it is. This is about that. Anakin's about Darth. The picture here is meant to be about the cross here. Human beings, human sexuality is about that. It's about the union of heaven and earth forever. When you see one, you're supposed to see the other behind it. And so when you see human sexuality being rightly expressed, you are supposed to see in it the complementarity of heaven and earth and their future union together forever. That's what you're meant to notice. Now, pretty much every civilization in history has actually recognized that male and female are complementary. It's obvious from our language, he, she, man, woman, male, female, husband, wife, It's obvious from our physical bodies. I'm not gonna go into graphic detail here, but male and female bodies fit sexually in a way that male and male and female and female bodies do not. The techies, right? The technical people around here, probably most of the things on this stage are plugged in with cables, which they are probably labeled or aware are male to male or female to female or male to female because they they do this the whole time. Cables do it. Just look around, ask the techies, They they know. Yes, male and female fit in a particular way that male and male and female and female do not. It's obvious. It's obvious from the bodies we have. It's obvious from childbirth. You can't make, even now, in this day and age, you cannot make a human being without, even with all our technology and genetic advances, you can't make a person without both male and female elements. Even if you try and remove male and female from the reproductive process and not have sex together and do it another way, you still can't do it without male and female elements. It's obvious male and female are complementary. It's obvious that what they are is to point towards something beyond themselves, even in the very fact that you need both of them to be able to have a child. So how on earth did we get to a point where people could talk about marriage as if it could be between two people of the same sex with no biological possibility of having a child together? How did that occur in the context of a world where everybody knows biologically, physically, linguistically, theologically, that that's, it. that's not a thing, that there is something unique about the coming together of male and female. How did you get to a point where you could talk about marriage of people of the same sex? In the last 10 years, how did that happen? When I started speaking at New Day, that wasn't a question, and it is now. Well, I was struck by um, the writer Naomi Wolf was talking to a young man, probably somebody around the same age as many of you in their late teens, and said, what about the mystery of sex? And this guy looked at her blankly and just said, what mystery? I don't know what you're talking about. Sex has no mystery. And she said, that's it. That's the problem. That's the problem with the way this world is thinking. Sex has no mystery. It's purely physical. That's all it is. A human being is nothing but a series of organs. Human sexuality is nothing but a series of orgasms. Deal with it. There's no mystery here. And to hear that, you think, oh, you've missed so much of what this is supposed to be doing. You have missed its significance. You've missed why it matters. How did that happen? How did we get there? Well, to listen to some people, you'd think, it's the work of a sinister group, uh, a sinister group of gay lobbyists who snuck into the media and academia and convinced everybody and wrote devious sitcoms and journal articles and did clever things and finally convinced us all in spite of ourselves. Well, I don't think that's what happened at all. I think what happened is that sexuality 
gradually became despiritualized, materialized. It got the transcendence. All of this significance got taken out. It gradually got smaller, basically, usually through the influence of ordinary, straight, married people. Your parents, my parents, your grandparents, my grandparents. Just gradually stop thinking about sexuality as having anything to do with the cosmos or with the union of Christ and the church in the 18th century-ish. And then, in about the 1940s, it stopped having very much to do with the community. It stopped being such a public affair. It was now a private thing between two people. And then contraception made it possible to think that it had nothing to do with children either. Right? It doesn't nothing to do with the cosmos, nothing much to do with the community. It doesn't have to have anything to do with children if you don't want it to. And as soon as you, and by the way, we use contraception as a couple. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not anti it. I just think it changes the way you think about what it is. As soon as you take that step, the purpose of marriage is no longer about anybody else. God, creation, the community, children, not about those things. It's simply about self-fulfillment for the two of you. And that challenges commitment. Why be committed? Because if it's mainly for self-fulfillment for the two of us, then if it's not working, we should change it. And that happened in about the 1960s. Commitment became much more of a question mark over sexuality. And eventually, if you think marriage is simply about friendship and intimacy and sexual enjoyment, then there's no reason to think it should be limited to people of opposite sexes. Maybe you can have people from the same sex, because it's just friendship, intimacy, and enjoyment, right? And people of the same sex can have that too. So why limit it to opposite sex marriages? Why limit it to male and female? You see, just gradually, it's, sexuality is becoming smaller. And the generation we're in is saying, hey, it's not really about that. No, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean... And gradually it shrinks. And it may even, I suspect, get to the point when it shouldn't even be restricted to couples. Right? Maybe that'll happen in the next 20 years. Who knows? I had a couple of um, uh, girls who weren't Christians in our church, me- a church meeting recently. And they said to me, I don't understand you Christians. Like, why, why don't you think it's okay for two people who love each other to get married? And I immediately said... Why not three? Why two? You're so polygamophobic. Where are you getting that number? What, what is it about? And they, they, to them, it was obvious it had to be two. But I, my point would be, yes, but 30 years ago, it would have been obvious that it meant a bit more. And obviously, it meant a bit more. And obvious, I'm saying that the journey you guys are on is of just making sex less and less meaningful. Each of those steps makes sexuality smaller. Why restrict it to two? Why not have five? Why can't I be married to my wife and she's married to her sister and I'm also married to my, my best friend who's a guy and he's married to his brother? Why can't we do that? Marriage, if you keep making it smaller, becomes a mile wide and an inch deep. Everybody can play, but it means less and less every time. It's like the difference between reading Shakespeare and reading the comments on YouTube. Have you ever done that? It's not an edifying experience, is it? I remember somebody, I saw a tweet a couple of years back, made me laugh. Somebody had said, I always wished I could see into other people's thoughts until I realized it would be like reading the comments on YouTube. The difference, you see, when you're reading Shakespeare, you think this is at a very high level, but not many people can do that. You read the comments on YouTube, everybody can play, but as a result, it's lost all meaning. And the nature of anything spiritual, transcendent, other, mysterious is that it has certain things, certain fences around it, certain guard, you have to guard certain things in order to say, it means this, this is about that. And because this is about that, you can't just mix it up and change it any way you want. It means something more than you realize it does. Having said all of that, and I'll close in a moment, 
I am not very worried about all of that, to be honest, as a generation. I think generations come and go and wax and wane. And some people will get very angry about it. But there is something within all human beings that knows that we are spiritual and not just material. There's something about all of us that knows that I am not simply the sum of my parts. I denote, I represent something more than what I am physically made up of. And I think there's something deep in us that knows that's probably true of my sexuality and yours as well. It's the, it's the part of us, if you like, that marvels at a sunset, right? Sunsets happen every day. You don't always see them because it's cloudy, but you know, sunsets happen basically every day, and there's still something in you and in me that stops what we're doing and looks and stares and marvels and says, do you know what? There's something more to that than simply the fusion of light and day. Night and day are coming together. Yes, good for them. But they mean more than simply the fact that they're coming together. There is something slightly spiritual about that moment, and it catches me out even though I've seen it a million times. It's the same part of us I'm going to show my age. It's the same part of us that cries in The Notebook. Has anybody seen The Notebook? I hate that movie. I hate it with a passion because I cried so hard. I thought it was going to be sick. My wife, I, I, I'm a real, I'm just horrible about this. My wife was just, she just says, you cry like a donkey. Like, I'm sitting there, and I really, I was horrible. I was about 20 minutes afterwards. I just could, I love you so much. It was just awful, awful moment in my life. The part of me that does that, even though all that's happening is a couple fall in love, get married, and get old together, and then die, which happens all the time, I still know it's tapping into something spiritual in me that makes me realize this means more than simply a bundle of cells are colliding and living together and then dying again. It means more than that, and I know it does, and I find it hard to suppress that. It's the same part of me that knows a fetus is a person. It's the same part of me that knows that marriage is not just about companionship, and copulation, but it's also about complementarity and creativity and cosmology and community and commitment and Christology. God, Ecclesiastes says, God has put eternity in the hearts of men and women. We know that there is more to ourselves than simply matter. And so anybody who wants to deny that of our, our bodies or of our sexuality is running uphill even if David Cameron and Barack Obama and Stephen Fry and many other people are running uphill with them. They're still running uphill. One day, heaven and earth will be united and every nation and generation, almost all of whom already know this, by the way, all of them will see that complementarity, pairs that fit each other have been written into creation from the beginning. Heaven and earth, they were made for each other. This is about that and they all one day live happily ever after. And until that day, we have the joy of pointing people, as single people now or marrieds in time to come for many, to the true reality of which marriage is just a shadow. And I'm gonna ask Sam and the guys to come out. We have the joy of pointing people forward to this reality. This is how John describes it in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride is dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with mankind. He will dwell with them. 
and they'll be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. That's the future of creation. This, male and female, is about that. And one day we will all see the union of heaven and earth all lived happily ever after. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you so much that you have given us sexuality as a parable of something else. And I, but I'm, I'm much more thankful for the reality it denotes that one day we will see you face to face. That all that your world and our world will be completely united. You will be all in all. You will be our God. We will be your people. All sorrow will vanish and we will be united with you forever. Thank you, God, that we were made for each other. And thank you, God, that you will one day see it done because you love us that much and will see it done that certainly. Amen.